Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your host is Becky Olson. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Becky Olson. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Becky Olson. I'm the co-founder of Breast Friends. I'm also a five-time survivor of advanced stage breast cancer, a motivational speaker, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And today, before we um, get into our program, I wanted to reflect on on something that that just, well, yesterday I spent a whole day with family um, just remembering somebody special, and I want to just talk for a minute about that that special person. It's my dad. Uh, He served in the military for 38 years. He retired as a full colonel. And he did something in his career that I am so proud of him for. Back in the, it was either the late 60s or the early 70s, Nixon was our president at the time. And he pulled together a small team of people from all the different branches of the armed services. And it was a small team. My dad was the one person that was there representing the um, Army Reserves. And the goal of the small team was to come up with a plan and a way to end the draft and to create a volunteer army. Well, my dad didn't really agree with that policy. He thought everybody should serve, but that wasn't his job. His job was to do what his commander-in-chief requested of him. So they did it. The policy was adopted, and we uh, the, the mandatory army was abolished. The draft went away. And so a lot of us have sons and daughters that are turning 18, and they, my dad is part of the reason they don't have to go sign up for military service, and those who want to still can. So it's a, it's a beautiful thing, and we had a chance to remember him yesterday. He turned 93 in January and passed just a few days later. His funeral had full military honors, and I don't know if you've never seen a service that has military honors like that. It is breathtaking to see the synchronization of the folding of the flag. They they shot, there were three um, soldiers that all shot rifles and they shot them in unison. We could, They were out of our vision, we couldn't see them. I really thought there was one person shooting and, they, and he shot three times. But as it turns out, there were three people shooting and they each shot three times, but they shot in such such unity that it sounded like one one weapon being fired. I mean, it was incredible. And, you know, and all the whole thing that it's just, it's an incredible, this is my second military funeral. My stepdad also um, passed and he had full military honors. That was the first time I'd ever seen it. And it is, it is breathtaking. So I really, uh, I just can't speak enough. And so we were, we were at his funeral service, different, different components of it all day yesterday and then also on the night before there was a service at the church the night before and but I you know the the whole idea of yesterday and seeing all of that it just reminded me so much about what our soldiers fight for you know they fight for freedom and equality and they serve regardless of race gender religion orientation it doesn't matter they're there to serve and protect this country so that we can have the things that we hold dear um, and keep our freedoms and our equality and yesterday was a beautiful reminder that what this country really is all about and i just 
I cried off and on many, many times yesterday, as you can well imagine. When they play taps especially, I have to admit, that really got me. But it reminds me, too, of what we do at Breast Friends. You know, breast cancer is a horrible disease, and it does not discriminate at all. It just goes wherever it decides to go. And, you know, Breast Friends doesn't discriminate either. And I've always been incredibly proud of that. Uh, We serve many women and um, helping them through this terrible time. And we help families get through this terrible time. So, you know, we've been very honored and very blessed to have been in this community for 20 years now and serving, you know, all these different people and and groups. And we, we just... I'm just so proud and honored. And again, yesterday was a very emotional day, and I think I'm going to probably carry that over into this conversation too. But um, anyway, so I wanted to start with that because today I am blessed to open up a conversation with a very special lady on a unique topic. And it's the idea of the lesbian population being a subgroup, and I put that in quotes, of breast cancer patients. Laura, and Laura, I hope I don't mess up your name. Adonisio, I think is, am I close? Very done, very All right, good. Get on, perfect. Good. Well, Laura is a brand new board member of Breast Friends, and she's also a volunteer. She's going to be starting a new program at Breast Friends called Rainbow Warriors, and it's a program for lesbian women. Laura recognizes that there are subtle differences in this community that makes it more difficult for lesbian women to find the resources that meet their needs. And, you know, I... We never want to be insensitive, but sometimes we are because we just don't know. And I would, when I asked Laura to be a guest on my show today, I really wanted to understand what some of those differences are. So today we're going to explore them and we're going to offer up some potential solutions. So welcome, Laura. Thank you so much for being on my show today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a great opportunity to share on this topic. Uh, And I also want to start before we dive in. Condolences on your father. That was a beautiful story, and, and clearly you have a lot of good memories and a lot to be proud of, and I, I know that'll help you and your family as, as you grieve. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it was, a, it was a tough day, but thank you. I really appreciate that. So, Laura, before we get into the topic at hand, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Because I, the first time I saw you, the very first time I ever laid eyes on you was at our Bald is Beautiful program. You were getting a makeover. Mm-hmm. Um, you had very, very short hair. Some of the ladies that come in are bald, but we do them if they're bald or if their hair is just coming back in. And you looked so doggone cute, and you had your daughter there with you. And, oh, my gosh, my heart was just melting. <laughs> I just, I thought, what a beautiful. <laughs> that was a special day for us, too. Uh, yeah. My daughter and I just have so many memories. Um, yeah. But, yeah, they, I was talked into that. Um, well, I'm glad because <laughs> you, your picture, I believe, is still on our wall. We have this wall where we uh, post some of those photos, and they're just amazing. And yours always gets everybody going, oh, my God, that's so gorgeous. Beautiful, beautiful picture. So, anyway, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? What do you do? Just, you know, anything that you'd like that you'd like our audience to know about you. Well, I do remember the bald is beautiful with uh, fond memories, and um, I... I it was such a wonderful experience for both me and my daughter just coming off of the treatment. So um, I thank Breast Friends for that opportunity. But a little bit about myself. Um, I do manage supply chain for a global manufacturing company, so I do have a career. Uh, and I am the sole breadwinner for my family and the, also the only insurance coverage for my family. So obviously my diagnosis uh, had a significant impact 
Um, but I've been with my beautiful wife now for 18 years, and together we have a 14-year-old daughter, Sarah, um, who has just been fantastic uh, through all of this. Uh, we're very much a sports family. Sarah absolutely loves to play soccer and basketball, and uh, she's the only kid I know. We took her to her first baseball game when she was only three years old, and the kid oh, wow. actually sat through all nine innings. She refused to even go get a hot dog. She was so enthralled. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, <laughs> sports definitely take up a lot of our time. So if we're not watching her play and rooting for her, we're watching something else, whether it's on TV or live. We support all the local teams and uh, just really have a good time bonding as a family over that. And then we have oh, two rescue dogs that round out our family, Amy and Bounce, and uh, they're just the light of my lives and, you know, just an extension of our, of our family. So what kind of dogs are they? So uh, they're both rescues, so we're not exactly sure, but Amy is predominantly Manchester Terrier and Bounce is predominantly Chihuahua, um, but they both just have the sweetest temperaments. They're very loving, loyal, um, protective dogs, and, uh, you know, together they just got me through. Um, There was a lot of laying around on a big pink blanket together as I went through my treatment, and they were just my rocks. So. Oh, I, I so get that. We had a we had a dog back then when I started down my, my path, too. Her name was Gretchen. She was a German Shepherd Collie mix, and she was, there's mm. something, the day I came home with my diagnosis, she never left my side from that point, and yep. she would, had always really been my husband's dog, you know, so for her to kind of pick up that something was going on there, and now we have a rescue dog, too, because Gretchen, um, yeah. she passed away back in 07, but we have a little rescue dog. His name is Swayze, and he is absolutely adorable. We don't really know 100% what he is, but what he, we know he's mostly Karen Terrier, and he's, mm-hmm. he sings. He sings, and he and he um, talks. There's a difference between singing and talking, you know. <laughs> I need to start posting videos on, on Facebook because it's really quite cute, um, but, you know, there's something about, about these animals, you know. I think when you rescue them especially, I mean, I guess the question really is who rescues who, but um, but they're just so special and thankful and loving and mm-hmm. and so I, I get your I get your rescue dog family. <laughs> I really oh I really absolutely do. that unconditional love it cannot be surpassed. And I, I yeah. have a bumper sticker on my car that says who rescued who. I agree hundred percent. Oh, there you go, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your diagnosis? Like when was it? And you know we don't need all the laundry list of everything that you went through, but mm-hmm. um, but the. Just kind of give us the the big stuff right now. You know, when was it? What kind was it? And what kind of treatment did you do? Sure. So um, back in uh, 2016, uh, just about eight months or so after my last mammogram, and I was really good about doing those on an annual basis, um, but about eight months after my last one, I found a lump, uh, and I went in and had it checked. And uh, everyone agreed, the radiologist, the doctor, uh, they all agreed that it wasn't anything to be concerned with, and they sent me home to wait for six months. Uh, which I did, and I really didn't give it a second thought because everybody was so confident about it. Um, Over that period of six months, it continued to grow, and I could feel it. And so I went back after six months, and I said, you know, it's bigger. And they're like, all right, let's check it out. So they did uh, an ultrasound and another mammogram, and they agreed that at this point we probably needed to biopsy it. So they did. And uh, two days before my 50th birthday, uh, I was diagnosed with cancer. And could have knocked me over. I, I really, in a million years, didn't see it coming. Didn't have any history of uh, cancer in my family. And I'd always done the mammograms, right? I was taking care of myself. So I was just kind of shocked that this would happen. My daughter was 12 at the time. Uh, come to find out that it was actually triple neg- negative breast cancer, which is the most aggressive type. 
uh, which leads, of course, to the most aggressive treatment. So I got the fun chemo called ACT, known as the Red Devil, because it's just so much fun. Yeah, um, but I, I that too. Through, I remember uh, it. You too, yeah. Yeah. You remember it, exactly. I do, I do. Not um, much fun. The 12 weeks of uh, chemo, followed by surgery. I was very blessed to have a complete reaction to the chemo. Uh, so the surgery was really, there was nothing to remove. Uh, my margins were clean. I did follow up with radiation, but I have just passed my two-year clean anniversary. So very aggressive treatment, but I was very fortunate to respond well to it, and things seem to be going well for the time being. So. Oh, that's great. So just real quick before we get off the subject of triple negative, you know, that's a, a term that we all hear. And just for the, the, the benefit of the audience who may be kind of new in this in this path with us, and they've heard the term triple negative but don't really know what it means, we'll just kind of explain that to our audience. So basically, cancer, breast cancer tends to feed on one of, of three things. You know, estrogen is the most common. Um, progesterone is another thing. And then there's a protein called HER2 new. And if you test, you know, if your cancer feeds on that, then they have a drug called Herceptin. And that that used to be a really frightening um, form of cancer because they didn't have anything for it. So so now they do. So, you know, they've got, they've got the most research done on the estrogen progesterone fed tumors. And then they've got a really good solution for the HER2 positive um, uh, situation, but when you're triple negative, what that means is your cancer doesn't feed on any of those three things, so they don't really know what's feeding it, and so they kind of—that's what makes it so darn difficult because they don't really know what to throw at it. So they just there's a lot of different things they put toward it just to see what's going to make it work, um, and that's that's what make that's part of what makes it so. So difficult, and and so it's feeding on something, but they don't know what, and it could be a variety of things. So they're just still trying to sort through all of that. And you know, I know a lot of people that are triple negative, and sometimes they just land on the right solution, and sometimes it takes a while to figure it out. So you were very, very blessed to have had such a a quick response to it. I'm so happy for you. Yeah, thank you. I I completely agree. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's a roll of the dice, and you just don't know, and every patient is different. Um, But really, after my very first chemo treatment, it already began to shrink. So I was very, very fortunate. And, uh, you know, as difficult as the process was, it was Mm -hmm. better than many have it. So I, I recognize that and feel blessed. Yeah, well, that's that's so great. So thank you for letting me digress digress at that moment. Um, I wanted to ask you about something that you um, had written in your in your little paragraph, you know, about kind of what this is about. And you had said that the medical community doesn't typically allow for the subtle differences that les- lesbian cancer patients experience. And I know we're we're gonna come up on the break here so we can start the conversation now and then pick it up on the other side of the break when the time comes but so I'd like to know if you don't mind sharing what are those subtle differences and I know it's a huge question yeah they're very subtle um you know but I think like any subgroup uh doctors nurses everyone in the oncology department which we all know are the most loving caring compassionate people on the planet um, but they deal with the majority of patients all the time, and they're similar. And here we've got this little subgroup, and there's just nuances that are different. And they have their little checklist that they go through, and they're just used to doing it a certain way. And I think some of those nuances get missed. 
and I can only speak from my perspective, so I certainly don't mean to talk for, you know, the, the audience at large, but um, for me, one of the things that we all know as cancer patients is before you start chemo, um, it's medically required that you get a pregnancy test. Well, when you're in an 18-year lesbian relationship, that's pretty unnecessary. <laughs> um, and, you know, I laughed it off. I thought it was hysterical, but the nurses and the doctors were all so nervous about it, and, oh, my God, I'm sorry I have to do this to you, and apologetic, and and everybody just sort of tripped over it. And I thought, everybody needs to relax about this. Um, <laughs> and I think if the doctors just were a little more comfortable, maybe a little better trained around the differences that um, lesbian women go through, many lesbian women are not birth mothers, so we've never used our breasts to nurse a child. And we feel a little differently about our bodies and, you know, our body image. And I think there could just be a little bit more understanding around that if they were so inclined. Overall, my medical treatment went exactly the way any other woman's medical treatment would have gone, and as it should be. But I think those little nuances would have made a big difference to my mental and emotional well-being had they been recognized. Sure. And it's not to say that lesbian women can't get pregnant. I mean, there could be a surrogacy kind of situation where, you know, you you want to have a child and one of you in the relationship wants to give birth. And so we know that. But then you're going to be actively knowing if you're pregnant or, you know, it's not like, well, you better go find Absolutely. out just in case, yes. you know. There's no accidents. I mean, There's no drunken yeah. backseat. Uh-oh. <laughs> right. <laughs> that takes place in the lesbian community. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good You're point. Right. That's great. Well, I, there, there may be more to say on this. I'm going to guess that there is, but we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A dot com. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about what happens when cancer hits a member of the lesbian community with our guest, Laura Adonisio. And before we we pick back up this conversation, I just want to remind our audience, if you're listening to us for the first time and maybe somebody just told you about our podcast, um, feel, please share our podcast with your friends, you know, subscribe to it. There's, it comes out on so many different formats. Um, you know, you can, if you have a, an iPhone and you really want to find an easy way to listen to us, uh, on the iPhone, there's a podcast app that comes with your phone. Just pull that up, type type in search for Breast Friends Podcast. We should come up right away. There's a picture of, the colors are blue and pink, and there's a picture of me on there. Um, but pull that up and then subscribe to it so people, you can, you'll get notices when there's a new show coming up. Um, if you don't have an iPhone, you've got a different one, pretty much any of your podcast apps were going to be available on there. So so take a listen, share it with people. We're trying to build our audience. We do have about around 10, 15,000 people um, listening a month to our different episodes, which we really appreciate. Um, but then also, if you want to help keep our program going, we, you know, this is a free service that we put out there and it's not free to us. So um, we just really would like to encourage you to consider making a donation. You can go to breastfriends.org on the donate page and make a donation. And because it's 2020 and Breast Friends has been around for 20 years, I think it'd be really cool if everyone went online and made a $20 and 20 cent donation, a 2020 donation. Um, that would probably, if everyone that listens to this show did that, we would probably not have to beg for another nickel, which would be very cool. So I um, really encourage you to do that. So, all right. Thank you with that. Um, let's pick this back up. So, Laura, I want to ask you about medical insurance. Um, I know there's been a big change in all of that because of the the uh, laws that have been passed about um, the the right to marry, but for some people they they choose not to marry. And so, why don't you just speak to that for just a minute? Is there do you find any bias in anything going on anymore? Sure. Yeah, I I think with the same sex marriage being a federal right, that really changed the whole landscape of medical insurance. I know for many years, my partner and I were together. Um, insuring her was really challenging. Again, we chose for her to stay home with our daughter. And I was working, um, but insuring her was, you know, cost prohibitive. It was it was difficult, but we figured it out. Once uh, marriage became a legal right, that problem really went away. So the landscape has changed over the last six, seven years ago, however long it's been since it's been uh, legal. That makes a very big difference. So if you are in a same-sex marriage, uh, legally, medical insurance cannot be denied to you through your spouse. So that's good news. 
if you are in a single relationship and you don't have um, a spouse's insurance to uh, lean upon, then you're really in the same boat as any heterosexual um, person would be if they're not in, in, you know, married. They would have to obtain their own health insurance. Um, so there's some statistics out there, and I didn't pull the study, so I'm not in a position to credit anybody, but there are some statistics that point to the lesbian community being underemployed. And with that, of course, comes being underinsured. But in general, um, spousal rights are the same now, whether you're in a hetero or a um, same-sex marriage. Well, that sounds like quite an improvement, huh? That's that's really good news. So I'm it, very, very happy to hear that. Um, so, Laura, let's... Monet- okay. I'm sorry, monetarily as well. I, I know a lot of families benefited greatly when mm-hmm. that, cha- that law changed. Well, and, and yeah, and when the same-sex marriage laws went, I mean, it, it changes so many things. I mean, just yeah, even the, the right to go visit your loved one in the hospital because when, when they say, well, family only, well, now you're family. So, you know, that, that had to have been, you know, a huge change. It's just a lot of different a lot of different benefits. So anyway, I'm I'm very happy that that this is going the way it has. Um, so let's talk. Let's kind of switch gears for a moment and talk about mm-hmm. what are the the challenges. Why is it hard as a lesbian to find the support you need? Uh, sure. So lesbians, like any subgroup, right, or a minority group, it, it's difficult to get any funding or attention. Um, it certainly seems reasonable, right? If you if you have a pool of money or you have resources or you want to put some effort into anything, you're going to go for the larger portion of the community first. And it's just, you know, sort of the 80-20 rule. Um, if 20% of the funding can cover 80% of the community, that's where you're going to put your focus and attention. And that's as it should be. I, I wouldn't complain or want to change that at all. But what happens to the remaining 20% of women? And this could be women of color. This could be lesbian women. It could be any subgroup anywhere. Um, and we don't always necessarily dive in any deeper. There's so many resources that are available to cancer patients, both during and after treatment. Um, and it, you know, regardless of your sexual orientation, that, that support is there. But I think there's something inherently comforting about being surrounded by like-minded and similar people. Right? We all get support in the familiar. This is why people flock to church or religion or to team sports or to hobbies is because being surrounded by people that think the same, it's comforting. And I think just the same with cancer, it unites all women, certainly, but there's that second layer of commonality that I think the lesbian community would want to find so that we can be even more authentically ourselves and find comfort in that. And yeah, makes that perfect sense. Exist right now. That makes perfect sense. I mean, we, we think in terms of support for young women, women who have young children, um, separating a group for them because they have, you know, when you're dealing with child care and, and you know, the, all the, the stuff that goes along with how do, you, how do you continue to take care of a small child when you're in the midst of treatment, you've got all this chemo cursing through your veins and you're trying to not be sick for your young child. And you've got a support group for those women and you have a support group for older women who don't have those issues anymore, but to try to Mm -hmm. merge them together and have common interest there, um, it's harder. I mean, I would, my kids were young when I was diagnosed the first time, but I'm not young anymore. (laughs) I'm I'm an old lady (laughs) now, Um, but it's, so I can, you know, I see the difference. So that, that's kind of what you're talking about. So we can all try to relate. So is that, am I, am I hitting that right? Absolutely. And again, you know, 
cancer is the common bond, right? We all share that, and that brings us all closer together and allows for many of these activities and events and um, education opportunities to overlap. But by breaking out these subgroups, like you said, into older, younger, lesbian, women of color, whatever the case may be, it's that second layer. And again, it allows for people to be just authentically themselves. I, I love that phrase because it, it does change how you sit in a room with other people and learn and share. It's just more comfortable and more comforting. That makes perfect sense. And so it's kind of, we're going to talk about the Rainbow Warrior program at the end. So uh, we'll leave time for that at the end on that the next segment. But um, so let's talk about what are, hmm, what are some of the differences, you know, and I, what, between, okay, I'm just going to ask the question. What are some of the differences between straight and gay women? And I mean, I know that yeah, there's body image, there's physical intimacy, there's gender roles, and there's social acceptance. Let's can you just sort of start working our way through this with me? I just want to make Absolutely. sure that we all fully understand. So, yeah, and I, uh, I want to be careful to, to all of your listeners to, to know that I, there's going to be some huge stereotyping here, right? <laughs> um, I can't speak for all women. Obviously, we are all different. Um, we're all individuals with our own thoughts and our own makeup. Um, I'm just trying to give a very high-level view of some of the differences. Sure. Um, that we experience, and by no means do I mean to say that all lesbians are the same or all straight women are the same. Um, I I think that's a very important thing to note. Um, There are certainly differences, and I noted them as I went through my treatment, um, you know, diagnosis and treatment, and body image is is certainly a big one. Um, You know, as I mentioned before, breasts take on a different meaning when they're used to nurse a child, and, you know, my partner gave birth. We used, you know, we used donor sperm. She was the birth mother. I adopted my daughter, um, but I'm not a birth mom, even though I have a child. And so there's just a difference in how I view my breasts. And I think additionally, many lesbians just, we don't adhere to the cultural norms around female sexuality. So not better or worse, just different. So when we're going through treatment and we're worried about, are we going to lose our breasts? Do we have to do a partial mastectomy, a full mast- or double mastectomy? Radiation impacts blisters and, um, you know, the skin and soreness. All of these things, I think, impact a lesbian body or could impact a lesbian body differently because we view our bodies slightly different. So, can, again, can you explain explain that a little bit for me, just just so I can really understand that? When when you you say you view it differently when you have the blistering from radiation and all that, what what does that mean? Well, if we're thinking about our breath differently than the societal female sexuality norms mm-hmm. that are out there, okay. I think we'll feel differently about the scars and the soreness and the um, skin. It, it's just a different way of looking at our bodies that potentially, again, potentially a different way of looking at our bodies. I wasn't as concerned being in a, a relationship with another woman I had a partner who fully understood what breasts mean, what they meant to her. And so if I needed to go through a mastectomy, it was less of an issue for me, whereas I think some straight women might be very concerned, and probably rightfully so in certain relationships, that their male counterparts would be devastated at the loss of this, that it would completely change their intimacy, it would completely change how he looked at her. I didn't experience that quite as much, and I would suspect that that's true for many lesbian women. Does that you know, help that's, clarify that's it? In, 
Yeah, it does. And that, that brings up a, a just a reminder of some things that I've heard from other women. I mean, we've seen marriages end over cancer because the husband couldn't handle the the deformities, you know, and the things that happen. And and mm-hmm. I had a friend, I had a friend from um, Louisiana. She wrote a book called uh, Double-Breasted Suits and Single-Breasted Women. I think that was the name of wow. it. And and it was really, it was just a little book, and it was three women that had all kind of written their stories. And and I didn't know her, her story until I read that, and I actually read it on the airplane on my way back from having met her. And she was talking about her husband. Um, after her surgery, she couldn't show him the scars. She just couldn't. Mm-hmm. And when they finally decided to go away for an anniversary weekend, they went somewhere. They had a had a nice little hot tub, and she decided it was time for him to see what was going on there. And they were in the hot tub, and she she dropped the towel and let him look at it. And apparently, it was so offensive to him that he vomited, and then he left her oh and my said, gosh. "I I can't do this." And she's a really beautiful woman, really beautiful woman, and and she couldn't. I mean, he couldn't deal with it, and he left her. And it's like, huh, you know, that was one of the most heartbreaking things I'd ever, stories I'd ever heard. And uh, I, it was just stunning to me that that, that could happen. So, um, and, and I know some women, they just, they go through this. I'm so blessed that, I mean, I'm really blessed that my husband was, had a good sense of humor about it. Um, you know, he, oh, there's a whole bunch of stuff I could talk about with that, but he really did have a good sense of humor about it. And we've been married almost 40 years now, and he's been through every cancer diagnosis with me. And and so, you know, it's it's not, it hasn't been a terrible thing for us either. So it's, it's uh, it, it does vary person by person for sure. But you do bring up that, that good perspective that, you know, you see your, your breast. For, I had five kids and I nursed every single one of them, you know. So right. that is a definite purpose for, for my breasts. And that's part of it. And it's also an erogenous zone. And I don't care what kind of relationship you're in, you know. I'm sure that exists for both of us. So, um, and, and now I have no feeling in them whatsoever. And so that's that's hard too. Um Mm-hmm. But anyway, so yeah, so body image is definitely, you know, an issue that, that probably all of us deal with in some way or another. So we should be able to understand that, I would think. So Absolutely. what about... And the story you okay. share, the, I'm sorry, the story you shared, I mean, that's definitely an extreme on, on the scale, right? Um, yeah. And I'm sure that there are some lesbian women that, um, you know, maybe have the same reaction. But in general, like you said, when you... You talk to so many straight women, and, and often at times their husbands really do struggle with it. And the lesbian women that I've spoken to, their partners just don't seem to. They think there's just a different level of understanding when you have breasts yourself. Um, and it really does make a difference. And again, these are subtle nuances, um, and it's not the same in every relationship, but mm-hmm. it, it can be different. And that has, has a di- uh, different, um, it provides for a different outlook when you yeah, have a same-sex that's good. relationship. That's that's good. Thank you. What about physical intimacy? So, you know, physical intimacy is, I think, a challenge for all of us. If you've been through chemo, <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about. I do. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. And I'm sure many of your listeners can relate as well. I mean, chemo alone has just a negative impact. It, you know, completely depletes your libido. You feel terrible. And often your body is, is changed completely, um, even coming out of it, even after finishing treatment. 
Uh, it just simply doesn't react the same way that it did. Um, you know, different parts of your body are going to be tender, and erogenous zones that used to be there aren't the same. Um, it's it's a definite uh, impact on your physical intimacy, and in most cases, chemo also causes menopause, which just makes yes. it all the more fun. <laughs> yeah, so, now, furnace. <laughs> you get to live in this perpetual furnace, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so you have, you know, all the fun that goes along with menopause and the side effects that go along with menopause that also impact physical intimacy. Um, it, it's just a downhill ride uh, after you finish treatment. Um, but I think the difference between a heterosexual um, relationship and a same-sex relationship is really, it's the male libido. And there's some studies on this that talk about the male libido often, and again, I'm stereotyping, but the male libido is often what drives the um, sexual intimacy between two people. Um, and when that's missing and you have two women, often the sexual intimacy just goes by the wayside. Women tend to be more um, supported by the emotional closeness and not so much by the physical intimacy. Ah, and so okay. trying to overcome that when your body just doesn't want to cooperate, uh, you know, just has its own share of issues. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, the medical community is starting to recognize that physical intimacy is a problem after cancer, but it is geared completely towards the heterosexual world. And there's just not a lot out there to talk about how do women, two women overcome this uh, when the body is so completely changed. Very good. Well, it's time for another break. So we're going to go ahead and do that. When we come back, let's talk about gender roles, okay? Okay. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a car that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A dot com. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about breast cancer resources, or perhaps lack thereof, for lesbian women with our guest, Laura Adonisio. So, Laura, um, when we were when we went out to break, we were talking about physical intimacy, and then you and I continued the conversation during the break, which I think we probably should have saved that. There's some more good information in there. But um, let's switch gears and talk about gender roles and what that means to you. Sure. So gender roles, you know, they happen in, in all relationships. Um, and basically all it means to me is that you partner with each other for life and you come up with things that you're going to be responsible for and the other person comes up with things that they're going to be responsible for. In a heterosexual male-female relationship, those roles tend to follow societal norms that have been around forever. And again, I am stereotyping, but the woman often is the one who takes care of the kids, who maybe cooks the dinner, does more of the household stuff. The man typically goes out to work, maybe mows the lawn, um, takes out the garbage. When you have a same-sex relationship, those gender roles are a little bit more blurred. Um, In my house, I happen to be the one that mows the lawn. Somebody's got to do it. I do it. Um, My wife happens to be the one that does primary child care. So in a heterosexual relationship, if the male should fall ill, the neighbors, the family, the friends, they rally and they're like, hey, can I come mow your lawn to help? Or when the woman falls ill, hey, can I drop off some food for you? It's sort of natural and normal, the response. But when you're in a same-sex relationship, those roles being blurred like that, folks don't know what to do. Do they offer to mow your lawn or do they offer to bring food? And again, it's, it's nuanced, it's subtle. But those are some of the differences that I found going through treatment um, was folks didn't exactly know how to support us. Now, I was incredibly blessed that everybody offered, what can I do? And we just gave out instructions. And I think that's probably the best way if I could offer advice to anybody is just offer your your services, your time, your um, ear, your shoulder, uh, and let the people figure out how best to utilize that. Um, but I do know that the, the blurred lines between gender roles has an impact. It definitely changes things. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I'm going to put this out here. I, kinda, I wish it were as simple as just telling people what you need. But, you know, I think a lot of times that, that you know, as women, and I don't care what relationship you're in, again, um, I think that as women, we think we can do it all. And so when people say, what can I do to help? Let me know. What, what do you need? It's so typical for all of us. I mean, I, again, I'm also stereotyping here, too, as women. But, you know, it's so easy and common for us to say, oh, thank you. That's so sweet. But, I, but we're fine, really. We'll be fine. And, and then mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't even accept the help that is offered. 
let alone come up with something for them to, to do. So I love that you said that because, you know, when here's the thing. When people want to help you, they really want to help you, but they don't know what that help looks like. And when you turn down that help, even by just saying, thank you, we're fine, you've just mm-hmm. kind of accidentally crushed the spirit of the person who really wants to give and do something. So it, it's a gift when you open up your heart and say, you know, I, I don't know exactly what you could do for us, but here are some of the needs that we have. And if you mm-hmm. find one of these that can that that kind of speaks to you, we would be so thankful. And that and that's kind of a good way to say it because it's just it's just much easier to say we're going to be fine, thank you, and then not accept the help and then kick yourself in the butt because you didn't, you know, and you yeah. wish that you had. Because I learned that lesson too. Yeah, and it's very deflating for the person that walks away because they care. They that's their way of showing you that they care. And when you yeah. take that away from them, I think it's very deflating. Yeah, I kind of look at that when I go visit someone who just made a beautiful cake and they offer me a slice and I say, oh, no, thanks. Really? <laughs> Why would exactly. I say no thanks to a piece of homemade cake? Well, I don't I mean, know how you know. down cake, but okay. <laughs> I know. So, you know, and they're proud of their cake. They want you to eat some of it. So just, you know, bite the bullet and eat a piece of cake, unless, of course, you have an allergy or something. But, you know, don't turn down help when it's offered because it's such a rare, beautiful thing. And, you know, it is a gift when we when we accept somebody's offer like that. So so thank you for kind of dittoing that and, you know, just here's what here's what we need. And, you know, if there's something like you can do, great. You know, we would love the help. So yeah, and there's all kinds of things that people can do. And if you need a, a list of ideas, I know we have a new website. I'm not sure if it's on there. I should probably spend more time. Um, but there's a list of ideas of things you can do to help support someone through their journey. So um, mm-hmm. anyway, so let's so that you're right. The gender roles would be more confusing because when I went when I went through my illness, people did bring us food. Um, they didn't realize that my husband does cook sometimes, and he's actually a pretty right. good cook. Um, but they did bring food because, to your point, I was the woman and therefore unable to cook for my family. And the kids did eat peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> you know, yeah, we we made it work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You do what you have to do. But but yeah, that's that's an interesting perspective. So um, and then let's talk about social acceptance. What do you think? Um, what, what do you? How do you feel about social acceptance? Do you? Is that still an issue? Well, I think it's definitely getting better. I think, again, with the marriage rights being, uh, you know, legal now, that definitely started to change societal views towards same-sex couples. I also think gay women have it a bit easier than gay men. For some reason, it's just easier to accept two women together. Um, But certainly having societal differences, it can feel isolating. There's no question about that. And this is before cancer, right? Just going through life as a lesbian and you're walking into you know, groups of people, scenarios, situations where the majority of people are heterosexual, uh, you're never quite sure if it's safe, if it's going to be comfortable, how it's going to be received. And so we make decisions as as gay people multiple times a day. Are we going to come out? Are we going to expose this part of ourselves? And so when you add cancer to the mix, um, in in an effort to protect yourself, you maybe aren't quite as um, free with that information. Um, and so one of the stories that I have that I, I just love is I was in um, chemo. I was in the infusion room, and uh, there was a gentleman next to me, a young man, um, probably a little bit younger than I was, and he had testicular cancer. And we 
struck up a conversation. My wife had gone off at this point to get me my weekly bagel because chemo and bagels went together in, when I was going through treatment. So she's off getting my bagel. And I start up this conversation with this gentleman. And he's talking about testicular cancer and on and on and on. And I'm talking about my breast cancer and on and on and on. And all of a sudden, we just got this big chuckle about how where else can two complete strangers have a conversation <laughs> about his balls and my boobs like it was normal? <laughs> Only in an infusion room. That is so true. Back and it changed the whole dynamic, you know, because it's like, how is this going to be received? I'm, I'm sure he thought he was talking to a straight woman or maybe he didn't give it any thought. I don't know. It certainly wasn't sexual in any way. But the dynamic changes, and you just don't know if it's going to be received well. So societal acceptance is something we, we definitely question and are conscious of all the time. He didn't blink an eye, um, and the conversation continued, and we continued to talk about his balls and my boobs for probably another hour. But um, <laughs> uh, you just don't know, and I think it's something that we are all conscious of at all times and yeah. need to be careful of. I can see that. I can I can definitely see that. I mean, you go into any group and you can have a multitude of opinions about the subject, like everyone should have one and, of course, express it loudly. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just, yeah, I, you know, I, and it's something I never, I never think about. I never worry about it. You know, people are go- going to accept me because I'm a heterosexual woman in a, in a 40-year marriage. I mean, no, who's going to question that? But, you know, when you think yep. about that, you can walk into a support group and have people in there that are biased against you and not know it until you're partway through and something comes up and all of a sudden, you know, that must be very uncomfortable when you um, do say something that elicits some kind of a negative response. That must be terrible. So Yeah, you know, you hit on it. There are certain rights and privileges that come with being in a heterosexual relationship that we just simply haven't gotten yet in same-sex relationships. And we are constantly in a state of assessing our own safety and well-being. And I, I come out a billion times a day, but there are many situations where I just won't, and I stop using pro- pro- pronouns, um, and I just will not give up that information because of whatever reason. I may not even be able to name it, but I'll keep that information to myself. I try not to ever do it in front of my daughter, so she's never in a situation where she feels like I'm ashamed. But you know what? If it means our safety, I would do it in front of her as well. So you do have to be careful, and you don't know how you're going to be received. It's it's always a doubt. And I've been blessed, and I think here in Portland especially, it's a very liberal state. Um, But, you know, when I travel, I'm even more careful. And even here in Portland, I am often careful. So it's just something that's on our minds constantly. Yeah. So let me ask you about your daughter. Does she ever get flack for having two moms? You know, we've been blessed in the community that we're in. Um, no. And we worried about it. Boy, did we worry about it. We bought books upon books and did research over research. And um, it turned out to really just be a non-issue. She Good. doesn't seem to have any issue. She's never once come home uh, and complained about being, you know, bullied in any way or any comments being made. Uh, she's never been excluded from any group or from anybody else's homes. She's been well-received, and we have an amazing community of friends and family. Uh, the schools have been very supportive. It, it's just, it, for us, it's been a non-issue. And I know not all lesbian couples can say that or gay couples can say that, um, but for us, it's it's just been seamless. I, she, there's been no issue whatsoever, and she's just a great kid and obviously very much wanted, loved, and she's just a well-rounded person. Well, uh, she sounds delightful, and she's 
absolutely beautiful. <laughs> I just, like I said, the day I, I first met her and met you together, I was just like, oh, it's so stunning. So listen, believe it or not, we're almost out of time. So I, we're going to kind of yeah. just cut to the chase. Let's talk very quickly about the our Breast Friends support group that you're creating um, and how do you think that that's going to fill the gap? And I need like the, the two-minute version and then we need to close. So... Okay, so um, let's just go right the there. The Rainbow Warrior Group, we're going to focus on um, just recognizing these nuanced differences that we've spoken about. I'm going to try to do that through education and inspiration. Um, really what I'm trying to do more than anything is just find a safe place for this group to get together. Uh, in the first year, I'm going to focus on hearing from the community. What do they want? What do they need? I'm in no position to speak for the community at large, um, but I am a member of it. Uh, once I figure that out, I'll just lay, you know, lay the groundwork this first year and build upon it in, in future years. Um, but I'm really excited. We've got lots of great programs coming up um, that are scheduled or being scheduled. And once I hear from them, I will adjust and adapt as necessary. Great. And then people will be able to learn more about this um, group through our website or through Facebook. Are you Tell us how people can get yes, information yes. about plugging into this. Okay, so there, there yeah, will be something on, on Breast Friends website, breastfriends.org, okay. and then it's also on Facebook and all sorts of social media. We're trying to get it out on Instagram and LinkedIn okay. and everywhere else that we can think of. Um, I really feel this particular community of people are not used to having support, so they're probably not looking for us. So, therefore, we've got to go find them. So, we're going to okay. try to push it out every way we can so Good. that there's at least some growing awareness. Wonderful. So the Breast Friends um, website is breastfriends.org. So be looking for information on there. And then maybe if you, if on the Facebook page, would this be open to anyone who is a member of your community regardless, or do they have to be in Portland to join the, the Facebook group? Uh, absolutely. Anybody who's a member of this community, please reach out and I'll do okay. everything I can to help. Um, but okay. certainly this first year, especially we're gearing it towards the women in Portland. It, they okay. will be local activities. Um, okay. But we'll, we'll help everyone that reaches out. Okay. And so if you're not a member of our of the Portland, um, Oregon area, and, and you have this issue in your own community, think about starting a support group, you know, specifically for, for lesbian women, because you already understand the nuances. And Laura, I'm so thankful to you today for pointing these things out. Um, I, love, I love our conversation. It was really great. And um, thank you so much for taking time out. I know that you called me from work. <laughs> so I appreciate you taking the time. And um, this has been a delightful conversation. You are an inspiration and I'm so glad that you joined our board too so and you just ah. donated a bunch of computers to our office so that's you are an amazing woman and I'm very impressed with you so thank oh, you thank for you being so who much. you are and and I just wish you and your your wife and your daughter just wonderful years ahead without any more cancer diagnoses so with that we will be back next week and until then remember there is always hope and we are here to help you find it Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 12 o'clock noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we are here to help you find it. We'll talk again next time.